You can be opening your Bibles to Ephesians 3, um, and uh, I want to comment on what we just did, but just uh, in, in, in case you don't do Facebook or not my friend on Facebook or whatever, uh, we've been past couple days, we've been uh, in Alta Vista. Uh, my son got married, and that's my last one, thank God. Uh, it's done, hallelujah. I can die now, they're all out. Uh, no, uh, it, it was a great, a great time, great wedding, um, and my mother-in-law and brother-in-law are here. My wife's mom and brother are with us in service today. Glad y'all are here. My daughter, my oldest daughter is here, Savannah. Um, we thought we were going to have about 10 other folks here, uh, but they all went home. Our friend Donna's here with us as well, and uh, so I'm glad y'all stayed over. Um, most of them on the left had heard me before, so that's why... <laughs> They were like, no, no more, we're gone. Uh, my sister was here up till this morning. They left at 5 o'clock. Just something came up at their church. They said, we got to get back. And we didn't know that. But, uh, but I'm just glad to be here this morning. Uh, so I'm a little uh, dizzy and tired, you know what I mean? Y'all ever come to church that way? Yeah, I, I think we do. You know, I, I think we really ought to prepare for, to, to get here. I mean, uh, Sundays are a pretty important day. And a lot of times on Saturday, I start thinking about what I'm going to be doing. It starts early in the morning, and yesterday was so busy. It was, it was a little bit tough to get there until, until a little bit later last night. But, but God is always good. And we just sang some songs about the here we are to worship and, and, and the power of God in prayer. And, and, and that's really what this text is about, is, is about God in prayer. And I'm not sure that we really believe what we sing in church. I mean, some older preacher once said that Christians lie more when they're singing in church than any other time. You know, we sing like sweet hour of prayer and we don't give him two minutes a day. You know, that kind of stuff. And then, uh, uh, you know, boldly proclaiming the gospel, you know, marching us to war. And so I said, we need to change that with the cross hidden behind the door because we don't really march out to war. We don't really consider this a, a battle we're in, that su- there's, a, there's a winner and a loser. There's eternity on the line. And God has called us to serve Him. And, and, and we are ill-equipped if we don't have that relationship with God. If we don't have that personal relationship. I want, you to keep, I want you to keep your finger in Ephesians 3. But if you want to turn there, turn back to John chapter 15. The Gospel of John chapter 15. It, it's a verse that, that is engraved on my, my ring uh, where I went to seminary. This is, is their theme verse of, their, of that institution. It says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let me read that again. If you abide in me. You know, the Bible many times is conditional. There's, there's two things in the Bible I want you to understand. One is God always gives responsibility with a provision and a provision with a responsibility. In other words, he never gives us a provision for ourselves. It always comes along with a responsibility to him, and he never gives us a job to do a responsibility unless he's given us a provision. And also in the Bible, there's there's if and then. If uh, everybody likes to quote Second Chronicles seven fourteen, however, they only get two words out of it: pray and pray. I don't know. There, there's like four conditions there. If there's a my people called by my name, humble themselves, and then we all say and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then 
then. We, we emphasize the prayer. We forgot about being his people, humbling ourselves, turning from our wicked ways. See, I can't even get an amen in here for that. No, no, no. I just thought I had to show up on Sunday, spend an hour and go home or hour and a half because you're preaching. And, and, and then go home and that was all God required. No, he requires a lot more. He said, then I will hear from heaven and, see, and will uh, hear their prayer and will heal their land. You see? You don't get the then unless you can do the if. And verse 7 of John 15 says, if you abide in me. What does that mean? It means to live in. It's the idea of the branch being stuck in the vine. And I, I'm not a botanist. I'm not a whatever you call a person that knows all about plants. But, but I know this, that the nutrition and the water and all comes up through the roots, up through things like we have veins. I can't even remember the name of them in a plant. And goes out into the branch. And if the branch is separated from the trunk, it'll die because it can't get the nutrition and water that it needs. And that's what this word abide means. If you abide in me. If you're stuck in me. If all that you have is power. And, and urgency comes up out of me. And into you. If you abide in me. And my words abide in you. Baptists are famous for teaching the Bible. But we're not so famous for applying the Bible. There are a lot of people who quote the whole Bible to you, but they're not living it at all. Give me one guy who only knows one thing, but he's applying it, rather than a guy who knows a million things and is not doing any of it. Amen? One time, I, a friend of mine had written a track. This was years ago. I shared it with somebody. I said, what do you think of that? He said, well, I don't think there's much about repentance in there. And I said, well, I like the way he's doing it better than the way you're not doing it. You know, and I tell myself that sometimes too. I, I like the way you do it better than the way I don't do it. Because you're doing it. You're trying. God will bless that. But my words abide in you. In other words, you take it to heart. You, you let it develop your life. You build your life around it. If that happens, ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. You see, there are a lot of TV and radio preachers, internet preachers. They'll get up and tell you to name it and claim it. And don't have a negative confession. You know, when you say, I think I'm getting a cold. Oh, don't do that. You're negatively confessing. You're saying it's going to happen to you. I don't know about you, but I got plenty of colds I never confessed. I mean, they just came on me. You know what I'm saying? And just because I say, I want a Cadillac, don't mean it's going to happen. You see the condition? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that everything about your life is flowing out of Christ and everything flowing out of your life is formed and informed by the scripture then ask whatever you wish because your wish will be his wish see we read that verse over there in, 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 in Psalm that says that God will give us the desire of our heart but we forget the context which it means he will put his desire in your heart he will give you the desire you're supposed to have, not just because you want something, he's going to give it to you. God is not a bum gall, a gumball machine. Bum gall. What's a bum gall? <laughs> a gumball. You just, when you make a mistake, you just acknowledge it and go on, all right? He's not a gumball machine where you drop a quarter in and get candy. But that's how we treat him, isn't it? But see, you say, amen, preacher, you tell him. I ain't talking to them. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. 
Because that's how we treat prayer. God, I have this need. Would you please take care of it? Friend, that is blasphemous and idolatrous. Because we are worshiping ourselves and asking God to bless it. Instead of worshiping God and saying, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? Bless your work through me. You see the difference? Please tell me you see the difference. Okay, thank you. And the, re- the reason that verse is on this ring, my ring, is because the institution I went to started by five women in prayer. God, we need a Bible college in this city. Send us a man that can lead it. And God sent them a man and Columbia Bible College was born. Not because somebody thought, hmm, this would be a good idea or this would make money, but because five women wanted to see missionaries go into all the world to preach the gospel. And they prayed an entire institution into existence in prayer, and this was their theme. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will, and I'll do it. And God gave it. Because they weren't asking for themselves, they were asking that God would cover the world with the gospel. And when I was a student there, the statistic was one out of ten missionaries on the field in the world covering all Christian missionaries had a connection to Columbia Bible College, a college of 300 students. Why? Because it was a great institution? No, because five women prayed. As they abided in Christ and Christ's word abided in them. I'm not sure if abided is how you say that, abode. But it was there. Amen? So we come to Ephesians 3. That was a good sermon all by itself, wasn't it? I just say that because I didn't expect to do that till just before I stood up. But in Ephesians 3, it's all about prayer. And here's what I want you to take home with you today. Our prayer is to be centered around God enabling us to accomplish His will on earth. Is that how we pray? I I, I will confess I don't. I pray for me and my wife, my son John and his wife, us four no more. And that's how I pray so many times. That might be how you pray so many times. God bless us, God help us, God heal us, God provide for us. And God said, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, all these things will be added to you. It's a promise, you don't even need to pray about it. But you don't meet the condition. You've got to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. That's Matthew 5, by the way, or Matthew 7, 33, It's Sermon on the Mount, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 5 through 7, you can find it. And, and when we ask God to bless us, we are being centered around ourselves rather than saying, God, bless yourself through me. And, when, and, and here's what, I'll tell you why we don't pray that way. Number one, because I say, tell you what, I'm not even going to pick on you. I'll tell you why I don't pray that way. Because I'm selfish. I want, it, I want it for me. I want my life to be comfortable. I want my life to be free of pain. I want my life to be free of any problems and discouragement and difficulty. But that is a pointless, worthless life to live. But we're afraid of the pain. We're afraid of of, of going through any difficulty whatsoever. And God did not call us to comfort. He called us to holiness and to living out His will through us in this world. Now, here's the deal, guys. I mean... I'm starting this off so negatively here, but here's the deal. It only lasts for a little while. The pain you're going through is only going to last for a little while because 
I may have said it here before, but I'm going to say it now. For the Christian, this world's the only hell we're ever going to experience. It only gets better. Heaven only adds, it never subtracts. As great as your relationship with your wife is, as great as your relationship with your kids is, as great as your relationship with your parents are, as great a job as you got, as great as your life is, it does not even compare to what's coming. But see, I'm saying that like an American. Hear how the Apostle Paul said it. After being shipwrecked five times, after being beaten uh, within an inch of his life, after being stoned, and I believe killed by stoning and God raising him up, he said the momentary light affliction of this world is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed when I see him. But we live for ourselves in this world because we're selfish and sinful and we don't have his desire at heart. And our prayers ought to be centered around God, enable me to accomplish your will on earth. Because I got 60, 70, 80 years at best and then I stand before him and give an account for what I did with what he gave me. We talked about that last week. That God's given us the Holy Spirit. And what are you doing with the power, the talent that God's put in your life? And so I want you to see these verses. Let's stand up and read them. Man, I went a long time without reading. Let me, let's read these verses. Just begin in verse 11. It's a more natural break to have gone to verse 13 and then started in 14. But I stopped in 10. I'm going to pick it up in 11 and, and it'll be all right this way too. This was according to the eternal purpose. What is this? That God was revealing uh, uh, in, in verse uh, 10. So that through the church, the wisdom of God would be known to the rulers and authorities in heaven places. In other words, that God was making of all people in earth, one people, the church. That was that his wisdom be revealed to the angelic beings. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose. That he, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Which is your glory. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory. He may grant you to be strengthened with power. Through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than, than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, your Bible is so, so everything. Uh, direct, informative, convicting. And it contains the words of life because it contains the words of Christ. And Lord, may we understand that your word is truth without any mixture of error. And may we today get glean out of your truth what we need for our lives, the life of our church, Calvary here. Lord, it's your church, but you understand how I said that. And Lord, may we together as a church seek to glorify you more than we glorify ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can be seated. I want, I want you to understand something. I've studied church growth evangelism. It, it's, it's, if, if there's one thing that I've looked at, it's how, why does a church grow? How does a church grow? How do you do this? And let me, let me just tell you, there are all kinds of little things that people see and tricks and, 
Uh, and I, I even hesitate to call them tricks. People think of it that way that, that, oh, well, if you do this or do that, then this will happen. And that's not true. Because when you study true church growth and evangelism, here's what you find out. If you will pray, if you will humble yourself and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways, God will hear from heaven. He'll forgive your sins and he'll heal your land. We find out that if we will go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature, people will be saved, brought into the church, baptized, and will begin to obey his commands. Let me save you many years of study and many thousands of dollars in tuition. And if you will get a hold of that, God will use you in this world. That if you'll pray and obey, God will act. Because he promised to act. And if he doesn't act, he will let you know why and give you a better sense of his presence. He'll just say, I can't do that right now. It's not my will, but here I am. I'm with you in this, in this pain and suffering. Just like he did Paul. Paul said, hey, could you relieve me? Hey, could you relieve me? And the third time God said, I'm not going to relieve you, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'll be with you through it. And he goes, okay, well, that's good enough. Because heaven's coming. And Paul could say, so this momentary light affliction is not worthy to be compared. Because God is with me. And God is with us. And in these verses, we found out God is with us. Even if we're not Jews, we know God is with us because in Christ, he made us all one people. In verses 11 through 13, we see that the prayer has an eternal purpose. Notice what it is. This was according to the eternal purposes realized in Christ Jesus. What? That in the church, he can gain glory. And so in whom, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Do you understand you have boldness and access to God the Father? I mean, I know you can't imagine it because you weren't there, but just do your best to think back to the beginning of time. Then take one more step and realize there was nothing. There wasn't even space. You see... Everything that we see had to come into existence all at one time. Because if there was space with no matter, where is it? And if there's matter with no space, where are you going to put it? And if there's no time and there's space and matter, when does it exist? So time, space, and matter all had to come into being at once. There was nothing. There wasn't time. There wasn't space. There wasn't matter. God said, exist. And boom, all at once, there it was. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God said it and bang, there it was. <laughs> That's how that works. That's, that is conservative, scientific. By all the evidence, scientifically, that's how it happened. And by the scripture, that's how it happened. That there was nothing and suddenly there was everything. You think about that God that could speak billions and billions of galaxies consisting of billions and billions of stars, we can't even get to the closest star to us. You could get in a spaceship, go the speed of light, if you could go the speed of light, and four years from now, you'd get to the closest star. And if you started counting all the stars, you would go one. Now you got to go to the next one to count two, and you're not going to get there. You following what I'm saying, how big God is? 
Now you have access to him and you can speak to him and ask him whatever you will. I want a Lamborghini. Really? I can, ex- I can speak into existence the entire universe. I can create time and space and matter in an, in an instant. And you want a Lamborghini? You know, it's like the rich guy prayed and was praying on his deathbed. And God said, I will grant you any wish before you die. He said, I'd like to take all my gold with me to heaven. He says, okay, but why do you want pavement? Right? Nothing on this earth is even compares to what's going to be revealed. It, it, it's so much better. So much more glorious. So you have that access. But do you really believe you have access? And Paul says, so because of that, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. I'm suffering for you. Don't worry about it. Jesus told us, you can go to the Father and in my name you can ask anything. And it will be done for you. Do you understand that? That's, that's more than me praying a prayer and going, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, it means that because of what Jesus did for me and because I'm his child and Christ lives with me and I identify with his death and his life, I identify in his resurrection and his life, that I have the authority given to me by God, not because I'm something, but because he gave it to me, to step into the throne room and say, because of what Jesus did, Father, This is my request to you. What do you pray now? Psalm 2 is a good place to start. I want the nations of the world for your son. God goes, that's a great prayer. I'll do that. You ask for a Lamborghini and he's like, what? And I'm just using Lamborghini because I can't think of a more expensive car. Is there one more expensive than that? You fill in the blank. I don't care. Just saying. So all these guys out there preaching about living your best life now and getting rich and praying God's blessings on you now. Really? That's what you want? You have the opportunity to stand before an eternal God who made everything and has given us a specific assignment to preach the gospel to this planet in this corner of this galaxy and all of his creation. And you want a Lamborghini. Really? That's kind of dumb. It's really dumb. And I, I told you, I'm selfish and I'm sinful. So there's some times I want a Lamborghini. Not really, but you get my point. I want whatever, name the thing. And, and now I realize I'm not going to get it. So I've just developed a phrase. I go, that's what heaven's for. <laughs> it's going to be a lot better up there than it is here. So I'm not even going to worry about it. Lamborghini, pa. I'm going to travel at speed of thought. <laughs> Not even light. I'm going to be faster than that. I'm going to think it and bam, there I am. That's going to be amazing. I hope it looks like a Harley, but that's what I'm going to be doing. (laughs) See, I just slipped right into it, didn't I? That was horrible. The eternal purpose of God is that in the name of Christ, we can stand before God and in the church call down His glory, that He'd be glorified in the church. So why is in our prayer that God be glorified in the church? I think we might not really believe that God would grant that if we asked for it. My, my other daughter who went home instead of coming to see us up here. Uh, thank you, Savannah, for coming and seeing us. Uh, but Cameron, she and her husband were traveling down the highway one day and their car broke down. She called me and said, Dad, we are broken down on I-95. I said, where? She said, uh, I don't know, somewhere. On, I said, no, 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 where are you? She said, I'm in Florence, South Carolina. I said, I have a friend there. 
Hadn't spoken to that friend over 30 years. Have I told you all this story? I'm going to tell it again because it's the greatest personal story I have about this. I had not spoken to him in 30 years, but I knew he lived there. I had to call another friend and say, Carl, I don't have Denny's number. Do you have Denny's number? Yeah, I'll get it for you. He got me Denny's number, sent it to me. He must have already told Denny. I called Denny Bates up, and here's what I hear. Ring, 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 ring. Hey, my brother, what can I do for you? Those were the first words out of his mouth after 30 years. And he's just a human. And I said, I got a daughter stranded at the, this hotel out on 95, right outside of Florence. He goes, I can be there in just a few minutes. Give me her number and I'll call her. Now, the end of the story is before he could get there, my son-in-law had fixed it and they were on their way and they were going to be fine. But my point is this. If my daughter had called him up and said, I called your number at random and I'm really broken down and I need some help. Now, I know Denny. Denny would have gone. But the point being, why would he have? But because I asked, because he knew me, she could ask whatever she needed and he would have done it. How much more will the Father, in the name of Jesus, give fish to a hungry man, to his son? If you ask for a fish, will a good father give him a serpent? No, give him a fish. If he asked for bread, would he give him a stone? No, give him bread. Why are you worried about the provision God already has for you? You ought to be worrying about God's will because he's going to take care of the provision. Are you following me? In other words, let me put it plainly. We pray small prayers. Because at the end of this, I've already read it, and just in case I don't get there again, God can do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you could even imagine. He can do better than that. A lot better than that. So don't worry about this life. He's got that handled. Worry about his will and his glory. Let me go on. There, there's an eternal purpose. There's also a position for prayer. In verse 14 he said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now that doesn't mean you have to bow to prayer. There's many a prayer position. Some standing, some laying uh, uh, prostrate some some seated that in, in the bible they were seated and, and praying you don't have to be in a certain position uh you can be driving down the road praying just don't close your eyes uh that's a that's a great place to pray but but what does he mean he means it's an attitude of humility before the father we understand we don't deserve this but jesus has won this for us i bow my knees before the father notice of whom all or every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, he created all of us. That's one thing. But secondly, out of all of us, he's making one people in the church. Now, I made a big deal about that last week, so I'm not going to make it this week. If you can get a copy of that sermon, you can listen to it. But it doesn't matter if you're black, yellow, red, or white, or brown, or whatever, polka dotted. It don't matter. When you're in the church, you're just a Christian. You're saved. That's it. God doesn't see that any differently. But notice that I bow my knees before the Father. Jesus always talked about God as Father. The Jewish people saw him as God. They won't even say his name. They won't even spell his name. Which is kind of dumb because he told them his name. He goes, hey, I want you to have my name. I want you to broadcast my name. I want you to tell everybody. Well, we're scared of that. We want to keep it secret. No, you were supposed to tell everybody about him. You were supposed to make his name glorious. Make his name famous. Shout it from the rooftops, Jesus said. And so there's this purpose in prayer that, that uh, I mean, I'm sorry, position for prayer and that we bow and all the families bow. But 
You've got to catch this. Look what he says. That according to the riches of his glory, he will grant you strength and power. Here's what it means. Here's what I want you to get. He's not giving to you according to your need. He's giving to you according to his riches. I mean, we save money to get some high price item we want. It doesn't have to be that high price, but we, we set aside money along and along so we can buy it. Because our resources are limited, his are limitless. He doesn't buy according to our need, he buys according to his riches. He's got all that he ever needs plus a lot more, and he's got all that all of us need plus a lot more. And he gives to us generously. He doesn't hold back. In fact, in James it says, if you like wisdom, ask of God. He gives to you liberally and doesn't hold back at all. He gives it and he doesn't fuss at you about it. He wants to give you because there are so few people that are seeking the glory of God. He's got a lot of extra. He's got stuff other people didn't ask him for. That they could have. So he's got extra, extra, extra. Because he had enough to start with, but there's some people who don't access what God's got for them. So he's got left over for you too. He gives according to his riches. But what does he give? He wants you to be granted power in your inner self. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Here's the deal. You say, is that salvation? No, it's past salvation. Paul's writing to save people. He's not asking that you get saved. He's asking that now that you're saved, you would get that the God has spent his riches on putting himself in you and having his power in you. That he wants you to understand that according to his riches, he wants to put into your life. Now, not riches, like I said, so you can get a Lamborghini, but riches that you can walk with him and be a powerful witness and a powerful spiritual witness for Christ in this world. And we miss that so much. We, I mean, you know what the average church prayer meeting is like. We pray a lot of selfish prayers. And I understand that. But it doesn't make it right, just because I understand it. There is a purpose in prayer in verse 17 through 19. That you being rooted and grounded in his love. Begins in verse 17. Verse 18. That you may have the strength. That you might have the strength to comprehend. I mean, we can't even comprehend the love of God without his help. And notice what he says. Uh, and, and, and if you think about it, this is so beautiful. The breadth and length and height and depth. Now, I don't think that there is necessarily, he, there's a certain thing about each one of those. He's just trying to say the fullness of his love. But, but when you think about it, you, you think about uh, the, the breadth of God's love, that, that it covers the world. You think about the length that it started before the foundation of the world, which he said in chapter 1. And it goes on into eternity. The height of it, it is as high as his throne. It's as high as heaven itself. It comes from him. And the depth, it reaches to the lowest person in the world. And gets to them. The love of God goes beyond all things that we can imagine. That we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What? How do you know something that you can't know? Well, you know that you know that there's more there, but you can't know it. 
Have you ever been with that guy? There's a fella, at least this story's been told to me. I, I, I hope it's true. It was told by a guy who knew the guy, to my son-in-law actually. But he had a business in Lynchburg. Uh, you know the white thing on a spark plug? Okay, that's made out of a certain kind of soil, clay. And his land had that clay on it and he became rich from that. And he never wore anything but overalls. And they always were dirty. And he always balanced himself with a whiskey bottle in his back pocket. And he decided to take a vacation, went to Virginia Beach, walked into this fine hotel on the beach in Virginia Beach. Can't think of the name of it right now. And asked for a room. And they looked at him, dirty and overalls, and said, get out. He said, you're not going to rent me a room? Nope. So he went outside, found a phone booth because of four cell phones. Made a phone call, came back in, and he owned the hotel. He fired the person that told him he couldn't have a room, fired everybody, hired new people. <laughs> See, when they looked at him, they didn't know that there was a lot more than they met the eye. And we've met Christ, and sometimes we don't realize there's a lot more than has met our eye. Even our eye of faith. That he's got a lot more. You see, we love the baby Jesus in the manger. We even don't mind seeing him there on that cross. But when we see the risen Lord... Say, well, what are you talking about? Well, we know John was a beloved disciple. He's leaning on his breast at the Last Supper. He's the one that Jesus gave responsibility of his mother to. He let him live the longest and revealed the whole revelation of the end of time to John. But when you read chapter 1 of Revelation, John turns to look to see the one speaking. And it is his beloved Jesus. And John doesn't go, oh, Jesus, I've missed you these past 70 years. Or 80 years or whatever it had been. No, he says, I fell as a dead man at his feet. You see, there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. He is more powerful. And he says that you might be able to comprehend that which is incomprehensible, which is the love of Christ. It is impossible to fully grasp it. To know the love of Christ. That word know means to experience it. To know the love of Christ that surpasses mental knowledge. In other words, you'll never understand it, but you can experience it. And be filled with the fullness of God. And then, I love the last verses, the promise of the prayer. I love this verse, one of my favorites. None of that mean anything to you. I hate it when I even say that. But one of the greatest verses in Scripture. To him who is able... To do exceeding or more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. I mean, I don't know about you. I got a pretty vivid imagination. I got a big imagination. Always have since I was a kid. I can imagine some crazy wild things. And that really bugs me when I have those dreams. <laughs> when I'm sleeping and that imagination gets to working, man. Wake up. My channel, what's wrong? Oh, that's a dream. Never mind. I mean, I've gone into a trance and had my mom when I was a kid or Janice go, what are you thinking? Oh, I couldn't even explain that one. That was just, that was out there. Can you imagine activating our imagination? What could God do? What could God do at Calvary? Could Calvary grow and have multiple services and plant, I don't know, a hundred churches in the state of Virginia and around across the country and maybe in some of the darkest places in the world? Could it be that we could 
bring salvation to Muslims? To ISIS? Well, you've gone too far, preacher. Well, I may have, but I didn't go further than God could go. I'm not saying that's God's will, but I'm saying we're telling God what we think His will is by what we think He can and can't do or wants to do. We've got to get before His face and say, God, what do you want? You want me to go there and say that? Oh, is there anybody else up there I can talk to, Lord? No. Oh. Because he can do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. According to the power that is at work in us. You see, before he told you what your position was leading up to these verses, he told you and explained to you who you are in him and what he's done for you and that he's placed you in the church that is to be the vehicle that carries the gospel to the world and that he wants to, to use Calvary and, and, and his church to take the gospel to the world. Now he said, now here's what I want you to do with all that. I want you to come to me in prayer and believe it and act upon it and begin to live out what I've already placed in you. He's already put himself in us. Romans 8, the power that raised you from the dead dwells in you. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the talent that God gave us and told us to invest, is the Holy Spirit. He gave us himself that we would use that power to take the gospel to the world. Because look at that last verse, to him, to him, to Christ, he that is, uh, or the Father who is able to do beyond all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I told you last week I was tired of playing church. I'm also tired of praying small prayers. I know how you feel. You say, no, you don't. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Might feel that way right now. I don't know, but. I used to read the comic page faithfully back when you could get newspapers. I know you still get them, but I don't. There's a lot of good theology in the comic strips. I'm just going to tell you there is. Some of it's blatant, some of it's hidden. But a life lesson that I really loved, and I cut it out and I put it on my wall back when I was single, and I could... Post things like that on walls. <laughs> I'm just, I'm teasing her, okay? Just, it's fine. Y'all, y'all know the comic strip, Hagar the Horrible? Oh, good. That was a lot of you. Good. That, not everybody knows that. He has a little, a little buddy goes with him named Lucky Eddie. It's kind of a take on Vikings. He's supposed to be this Viking guy. And Lucky Eddie's kind of clumsy and all. And the very first frame is, is Hagar looking at Eddie, and he says, remember my orders. It was a two-frame cartoon. The second frame, it's backed way up, and like this is the edge of the cliff. Here's Hagar, and over here is Eddie, and they're about to go over the cliff. And as it backs up, what you see out there is just a horde of people. I mean, thousands of men. And the bubble caption says this, no prisoners. I went, that's it. <laughs> Cut it out. Put it on the wall. Because God comes to us and God is me and God. And now we're lucky Eddie, right? 
we're the clumsy, don't know what to do, can't fight very well guy. And Jesus is, forgive me for saying that, Hagar the horrible. And he looks at us and goes, remember my orders, no prisoners. And we're looking at five billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus. And we feel like we're standing on the edge of a cliff about to be pushed off. And his orders to us is, no prisoners. Go get them. Wade into it. It is what the military calls a target-rich environment. Just start fighting, you're going to hit something. Friend, listen, we live in the midst of a target-rich environment. The reason we are not winning the battle is we are not engaged in the fight. Just pick a target and start going for it. But pray. That's in prayer. That's where the strength begins to access into our life. Well, here's some stuff you can do this week. First of all, approach God with boldness. These are very simple. They're not very complicated. Just approach God with boldness. We say, go in there like you're proud. No. I said with boldness, not with arrogance. Arrogance, well, God, here I am. You've got to listen to me. No. With boldness, with God. I come before your throne because I know you hear me and I know you're going to hear me because Jesus told me I could come in his name and he is my savior and he's adopted me into the, king, into the kingdom and so you're my father now and I come to you because of Christ. That's boldness. Okay? Approach God with boldness to ask what his will is and to pray his will. Secondly, pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. That kind of goes with number one. That's how you are bold. Number two is how you do number one. And then number three, why don't you this week bring glory to God by believing he can do more and then expecting him to do more. See, we all believe it. If I asked you, how many of y'all believe God can do more? Yeah, amen. Mary and Martha believed Jesus could do more because their brother Lazarus got sick. And they sent for him and said, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. So Jesus sat down and waited four days. That's unusual. See, it's not always God's will to heal. Sometimes he wants to do something bigger. So he let Lazarus die. And he said, all right, let's go get Lazarus. Got to go wake him up. The disciples thought he meant, oh, he was feeling better. And he went to sleep. And so he's resting and he's going to be okay. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, he's going to be okay. And he said, no, no, no. What I mean is he fell asleep. He's dead. We got to go raise him. We got to go wake him up. Now, I'm sure the 12 went, let's not ask him any more questions because he's talking out of his head again. And they go to the tomb, and what happens? Martha meets him way out there. Mary, she's a little more quiet and humble and back there. And Martha said, oh, Lord, if you had come, our brother would not have died. Martha had faith for yesterday. Oh, man, Jesus, back there in the Bible, you created the world, God. That was awesome. And then you covered it with water. Amazing. But you saved, you saved Noah and his family in an ark. Man, that's, that's a miracle. And you took one guy after making, you know, you took, well, take Abraham and out of him you made this big nation and put him under protective care of the greatest nation on the earth at the time, Egypt. And then you called them out and Egypt didn't want to let them go. And you raised up one guy, Moses, and he led over a million people out of slavery and created a new nation. And that's a miracle. And, and all the stuff you let David do, amazing. And then Jesus came and he healed the sick and and the lame and the blind and he fed the hungry and he raised the dead and he gave us his will and whoa look at the miracles 
Man, if we'd lived back then, it would be really cool. We got faith for yesterday. And Jesus says, goes on to Mary. And Mary says, oh Lord, our brother's dead. And he says, don't worry. He's going to live again. She goes, oh, I know in the resurrection. She had faith for tomorrow. Oh, we know Jesus is coming back. Oh, it's horrible now, but Jesus is coming back. No, it can be great now. I don't mean circumstances might not be great, but Jesus can give you his power now. You can see miracles happen now. And Jesus said, no, not tomorrow. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you'll live again. Do you believe this? She said, Lord, I believe. I think Jesus gets as frustrated with us as he did with them. Oh, Lord, if we'd have lived in Bible times, it would have been so good. Lord, well, you know, one day you're going to do a miracle. But we don't believe that the same Jesus of yesterday and tomorrow is present with us today. The difference is not, well, it's his will, but the difference is whether we believe him and are accessing that or not. Because anybody that wants to make much of Jesus, he's going to bless you. And by bless, I don't mean give you a Lamborghini. If you say, God, I want you to be glorified through my life, he'll begin to use you. And you might not like the way he's going to use you because that might mean you've got to be a doormat. That might mean that you've got to be made poor, that he might show his riches. It might mean that you might suffer, that he can show his strength and his power. It might mean that you have some difficulties in life so, you, so people can see that he's the answer. But if you'll be willing for him to get the glory and you not get the glory, if you'll be willing for him to have that and not you, he wants to reveal to the powers that are beyond us what is the, his wisdom and how glorious he is. And at the end, the retirement benefit is out of this world. Because heaven's going to just make it awesome. Truly awesome. Are we willing? Is Calvary willing to let God be glorified through us no matter what? Are we as individuals willing to let God be glorified in our life no matter what? Or do we want to put conditions? Now, God, you can use me, but only if I live here, I marry that person, I have these children, you give me this job, I have this car, this house, this benefit. Or are we willing to go to God and say, God, I surrender? Talk about lying in church and singing all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. 